The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Discover a new relationship and approach to life through the space between. Join spiritual teacher Brittany Mondito for a moment of silence, a weekend workshop May 24th to 26th at Omega Institute's beautiful campus in Rhinebeck, New York. Everything we're searching for lies behind what we're running from, Brittany says. Reconnect with your inner sense of safety, grounding, and centeredness. Learn more today at eomega.org slash thrive. From Spirituality and Health Magazine, I'm Rabbi Rami, and this is the Spirituality and Health Podcast. Our guest today, Grace Jisum Kim, is professor of theology at Earlham School of Religion and the author of 20 books, including The Grace of Sophia and Intersectional Theology, an Introductory Guide. Her previous book, Hope in Disarray, Piecing Our Lives Together, was the topic of her last appearance on this podcast. She's back today to discuss her new book, Invisible, Theology and the Experience of Asian American Women. Grace is also a contributing editor at Spirituality and Health Magazine, and you can read her most recent article uh, entitled The Spiritual Practice of Writing in the current edition, the November-December 2021 edition of Spirituality and Health Magazine. Grace, welcome to the podcast, or welcome back to the podcast. Oh, thank you so much, Rabbi Rami. It's so wonderful to be back. I love talking with you, so this is just wonderful. So thank you so much for inviting me back. Uh, We are happy to have you back. The book was very interesting. I got a lot of questions, more questions than we have time for. But before we go into the book, I just learned that you're at the COP26 uh, conference in Glasgow. And I figure this is an opportunity. You're a contributing editor with the magazine. You're now officially by me designated our person at the conference. (laughs) You represent the magazine. And I'm curious what your take is from the, not the political perspective, because people can get that anywhere, but from the religious perspective, the spiritual perspective, are you there for the college or what, you know, why, why are you at the conference? I'm so glad you asked me. Um, I've been coming for the last several years with the World Council of Churches. I'm part of their working group on climate change. So I've been part of that working group for many years and I've been coming to COP for the last seven or eight years. So last year was canceled, so I'm really glad that we're back this year. And so I'm coming from a very religious and a spiritual perspective. The politicians are here, the world leaders are here, but they really need to hear the spiritual voices of the people. You know, there are indigenous groups that have come here that have traveled from far distances because they are always wanting a seat at the table and they don't get a seat, but they are here, they are uh, doing marches and protesting. The religious group, there are many interfaith uh, events here, but many religious groups are part of the event to motivate and to to put pressure on the leaders to do something more for the planet. You know, last weekend there was a march, like I think 50,000 people in the rain. You know, Scotland, there's a lot of rain. In Glasgow, it rains a lot. And in this torrential rainstorm, 
So many people came out because of the importance. People are marching, people are speaking up, people are uh, blogging and writing and putting pressure on these leaders that more needs to be done. And, you know, I'm going to write a piece for the World Council of Churches, and I was reflecting on it today. And um, there's a friend of mine who comes to the meetings all the time. He's Polish. But I taught him a Korean word many years ago, 10 years ago. And the word is bali bali. And every time he sees me, this Polish friend, he always says to me bali bali because he always remembers this word. And I taught it because I was taking my youngest son around to the meetings. And I always said to him bali bali. In Korea, parents say that word all the time. And it just means hurry up. So <laughs> we as Korean parents say it from when they were from when they're really young, saying bali bali, get, you know, put your clothes on, brush your teeth, get ready for school, get out of the house. So I've been saying it to my three kids, bali bali. And as, as I was reflecting on what to write, I thought I'm going to begin with bali bali. You know, we don't have time to correct what is happening in the world. You know, the other day on the news in India, in one of their uh, religious rivers, there's a religious festival for Hindus where they have to go in the river to bathe themselves. And it is full of foam. It's this toxic foam that's, that's flowing in the river. And that's just one instance of, you know, what's happening with climate change, what's happening in the environment. The storms are getting bigger and, and they're killing you know, and the winter's upon us here in the U.S. So we don't have time right now. We don't have days anymore to correct what we have been doing wrong. So I am going to talk about Bali Bali. We got to urge the politicians to hurry up. That, you know, it is really delayed what we need to do. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. We're running out of time. We are, yes. Uh huh. I, I was in India. Well, I've been in India many times, but the, one of the times I was there, I can't remember which one it was, but one of the times I was there, it was a conference uh, about the Ganges, Mother Ganga. And the idea was, why are you letting it die, letting her die? And, you know, we heard from politicians, we heard from industrialists, and we heard from religious people. And the thing that struck me was, I mean, it's obvious the politicians, it's too expensive. And the industrialists, we, you know, we're, we're producing what the people need. And it, pollution is just, you know, the cost of doing business. And I thought the spiritual uh, speakers would have a different attitude. But their attitude was, it's a holy river. You can't really pollute it. And the, the, if it looks bad to you, it's because you're not enlightened like we are. Oh, no, so, no. You know, what, what is the, <laughs> what, I mean, we know the health side yeah. of this. It's mm -hmm. bad, the climate, you know, uh, yes. catastrophe, climate uh -huh. collapse. What's the spiritual side? And, and let, me, let me frame it this way. This is just my take on it. But I think what's necessary if we're going to do anything of consequence is we need a change in consciousness. Yes. And that's uh -huh. not part of the dialogue, as I understand it, at yeah, COP26. It's, it's not. So, so talk about that, if you can. Well, I think, you know, in so much of everyday life, spirituality is part of it. And it affects us in so many ways. But I think it's not in our consciousness. We don't realize how much religion, spirituality affects everything. So if we look at American politics, you know, white nationalism, white Christian nationalism affects it so many ways. But in many ways, politicians don't want to acknowledge how much it is affecting. So if we can recognize that 
the spiritual aspect of creation care, of whole of creation, I think we would just have a different perspective, that we would have this bali bali understanding that, you know, time is ticking and it may be a point of no return. You know, when we do that, uh, the temperature rise of 2% or more increase in our climate, you know, the temperature, that is going to have huge consequences all over the globe. We have to recognize the intersectionality. And my other work on spirituality and the spirit, I use the word chi, and that's an Asian concept. And, you know, many people around the world have an understanding of the spirit. The spirit, the spirit of God is in all things. It's not just in you and me. It's not just in human beings. It's in all of God's creation. So if we can understand that the the spirit is in the wind, in the trees, in the Ganji River, it's in the mountains, it's in the bird and the animals, then we will have a different perspective on how we are going to treat not just one another, but all of God's creation. And so, you know, that will, if we can just get it in our consciousness, in our mind, in our hearts, I think we will have a different perspective in how we we treat uh, climate change, this crisis that we are in, and that we will really have climate action. Okay. Uh, amen to that. Yeah, Sister amen. <laughs> thank you so much, Rabbi Rami. Thank you. And thank you for the opportunity to talk about it, because I think it's all tied in with the spirituality that the magazine is dealing with. It's so important. So thank you so much for asking me about that before we get into the book. Well, you are welcome, and you really lead into the book, not not the way I expected to jump into this, but you mentioned chi. Yes. And in the book, you list four Korean words. Uh, chi is one of them. Uh, and, and, I mean, you have this great little phrase. Now, this is a quote from you. Words are all we have in theology. It's, I mean, it's brilliant. Wor- words are so important uh, in general, uh-huh. so important to our consciousness. And you have these four words. Now, chi, I can pronounce the, uh-huh. and han is uh-huh. one of them. The other two, I don't know if you remember, but yeah. O-U hyphen uh-huh. R-I, how do you yeah. pronounce that? So that's Uri. Okay. Uri, and, and then Chong. Yeah, Chong. Yeah, Chong. So tell us about uh, these four terms and, and how they might transform. In your, your case, we're talking Christianity. So you can, you can use that as an example, but how they might transform just our, our spiritual consciousness. Yeah. So because you mentioned chi, let me begin with that. And I'll just, I can just talk in general terms and in spirituality and in our religious thinking too, because I think it applies kind of beyond Christianity. I started with Christianity, but I'm always, you know, even with COP26, I'm always involved with the interfaith. I think it's so important to understand. So chi is an Asian concept, as I said earlier, which means spirit. And uh, for the English speakers, you know, we, we know Tai Chi, we know Taekwondo, we know Reiki. So those two words, Reiki and Tai Chi, has the word Chi in it, which is spirit. And it, it is very similar to the, um, to the Hebrew understanding of spirit, the Ruha, which is, you know, the breath, the energy, um, the spirit, and the wind. And so, and in the New Testament, the Greek under, the Greek word is pneuma, and it's all the same understanding. So chi, which 
has been around for thousands of years in Asia. We understand it as this energy, this breath, this wind, this spirit of God that kind of gave form into gave form to the earth, and it is really embodied within us in human beings, and it is in animals and plants. So it is it's more an embedded understanding of the spirit. And if we and that goes a little beyond Christianity because Christianity, we do talk about spirit, but we don't focus so much on the spirit within us as we do as the spirit of God. So this outer spirit. So it reminds us that the spirit of God is within us and in all of creation. And that makes a difference in how we treat one another and how we treat God's creation. So I hope that part is helpful. And then the other concept of Uri is this community understanding. You know, in Korean language, we never ever talk about, or we rarely talk about I. So I don't go, I don't talk about my book or my church or my seminary or my magazine. We just say our church, our magazine, our seminary, our family, even though you, in, in our minds, we're talking about my we just talk about our in many, in most of our language. And we don't use I in the language. If you're going to say I, it, we just infer it and we don't say it. So it's a very communal language. And so even if I'm married and I have one husband, I never say my husband. We just still say our husband and everybody knows it's just one husband. But that's like the communal understanding and how we take care of one another. And I think that's so important in our spirituality. If we get have this communal understanding, a plural understanding rather than my, my, my in the Western world, I think that will help us in our spiritual growth and kind of take care of one another and take care of creation too at the same time. You think yeah. that would be, oh, I don't know, uh, so obvious, especially yeah. in a... In a, in a Judeo-Christian setting, yeah. you know, which is all about that. Uh -huh. And yet, you know, I, I, my sense of religion uh, in the United States, uh -huh. it's very eye-focused. Oh, all about, it is. It is. Uh, I mean, one of the differences between Judaism and Christianity is that Judaism uh -huh. is salvation is the people itself uh -huh. and not, not individuals. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> so the I, I think that's so of, beautiful. That's so beautiful. Eye, but the eye sort of dominates in certain kinds of Christianity. Is that I think fair? in majority of Christianity, the I dominates. It's like my salvation. How am I going to get salvation? How is God going to save me? So it is very me-centered. And, you know, with a Greco-Roman, you know, influence in Christianity, the dualism, it, it just became kind of me and them and, and, and God and me. I don't know. It's it, it. I think it's more destructive to think in dualism terms, and with Western individualism, it just got married within Christianity, and the I is there. So, you know, the Pietism, the individual Pietism, is so important. So, I think when I bring in these Asian terms, this Korean term of Udi, it really wants to break it down. It's more communal, and I really like um, your. Uh, what you said earlier with 
our salvation within Judaism. I think that's so important. In Christianity, it's me and it's how do I get saved? You know, and so I I want to bring in these terms and I hope for those who are just seeking spirituality, the Uri concept of our family and our church or our temple you know, our spirituality is so important in this time and age. So I hope that will be helpful for those who are seeking that it's not this, you know, individual, but our, and it is so, it's so helpful for me. And I hope it's helpful for many people. So the other concept is Chong, which kind of goes in, which is tied with the Udi concept. So Chong is a Korean term, which you know, all these terms get so difficult to translate, but it is this love concept, this connectedness, this, it's like sticking your hand in a jar of honey and it's so sticky, you can't get rid of the honey in between your fingers. So in Korea, it's this chong that holds us together. So even though we may fight with one another, the chong holds us together. It is this connection. We are all connected as human beings. We are connected either through family or friends. And even though we fight, uh, it just connects us. So, you know, we fight, but let's still connect and stay together because this love is unbreakable. And when I think about Christianity, you know, this love with God is unbreakable. We can sin, we can fall behind, but it is this unbreakable love. So that's another thing that is helpful in our spirituality, in our interfaith work, in our work with climate change. You know, this love between me and, and God's creation, it's unbreakable. And we need to do something to, to take care of God's creation. It sounds to me that uh, Chong, Chi, and Uri are almost variations on, on a theme of interdependence. Yes, yes, it, you you got it right on, interdependence. And I think that's so helpful in our world today. You know, people are migrating. You know, we have people of, inter, you know, different faith living with us, working with us. But it is, we are all interconnected. We need to love one another, take care of one another, uh, watch out for one another, because if we don't, we are going to end up destroying each other. And we're going, we're on the path of destruction of this planet. You know, we only have this one planet to live. You know, the billionaires are flying out into space. They're going out, you know, for, I don't know, for 20 minutes. It's a very short, short trip for billions and millions of dollars. They can't live out there. We only have this planet. So we really need to take care of this planet and everything in this planet and beyond the planet too. So yes, what you're saying, this interdependence is so important. And those three terms are, are, are all about that. And so the fourth term, Han, is um, this unjust suffering that we experience. Um, and, you know, every day there's a lot of suffering that people go, you know, I'm in Glasgow this week and there's a lot of rain. So if you don't have an umbrella, and even if you have an umbrella, you can get wet and, you know, your body can suffer a bit. I was complaining uh, as I was registering at COP and the lady was laughing. He goes, you're just lucky it's not raining sideways. <laughs> so you're just, you're lucky that it's just downpour today, but it's not going sideways. But there is a little bit of suffering, but Han is not that kind of suffering. It's this unjust suffering when these systems are set up 
to cause unjust suffering. So when there is sexism in the world, you know, patriarchy, it, you know, it's within religion, it's in politics, it's in American society. And when we think about that, that's an unjust system. When we think about uh, these other issues of uh, with women, you know, when women are raped, the unjust system is set up that women are raped. So colonialism and, and um, uh, you know, these different oppressions that are set up in our society, those cause unjust suffering to others. So that is kind of what causes Han. This unjust suffering causes this, this deep woundedness and it, it, is, it stays with us. And so Koreans, when we talk about, and it, it can be an individual Han, or it can be a collective Han. You know, Korea is a small peninsula, but it was invaded by Japan and China for hundreds and hundreds of years, and it was colonized by Japan. And when we think about the colonization, Koreans really suffered as a nation under Japan uh, imperialism. So that is unjust suffering. So we think of this unjust suffering, and we want to do something to get rid of this Han that we're experiencing. And, and Koreans talk about Han, individual and collective, but as a theologian as my, for myself, I always go beyond, and I, I always say, even animals, this earth is, is experiencing Han, and the earth is crying out. When we think about these, these storms that are, you know, flooding and, and the rainstorms, you know, these islands, you know, Fiji representatives are here and they're crying out because they are losing land. They can't survive in these storms. So the, the earth is crying out and that is the Han that the earth is experiencing, the animals. You know, I just saw pictures of panda bears and they are thin. They are losing body weight because they don't have enough to eat. So that is the harm that they're experiencing. And, and when there's unjust suffering for human beings, there is harm. Discover a new relationship and approach to life through the space between. Join spiritual teacher Brittany Mondito for a moment of silence, a weekend workshop May 24th to 26th at Omega Institute's beautiful campus in Rhinebeck, New York. Everything we're searching for lies behind what we're running from, Brittany says. Reconnect with your inner sense of safety, grounding, and centeredness. Learn more today at eomega.org slash thrive. So I want to say that, yes. That really seems to speak to the heart of your new book. Yes. And let me set it up this way. I mean, in, in Buddhism, there's the concept of, of dukkha which we mm -hmm. oftentimes translate as suffering, but the idea isn't, it's not Han. Han is, you, you know, unjust suffering, implying that there's, I don't know, just suffering is the right term, but the idea is there is suffering built into just being alive. I mean, yes. there's just old age, sickness, death, all of that. But Han is uh, of human origin. It's, it's yes. sort of the we we create Han by the way we live. Yes. And when I was reading the book, and the book is, deals a lot with um, white American racism toward uh, Korean Americans or Asian Americans Very, in general, uh -huh, the way you uh -huh. write. And, and you say a couple of things that I th I'd love to hear uh, your take on these. One is you say that um, 
racism against Asian Americans is seldom recognized. Mm-hmm. Why? Why is that the case? Why is that the case? Yeah, I think the whole history of our Asian immigration, it has been the case. I think in America, particularly, racism is talked about in black and white terms. So if you are not black, those who fall in between Hispanics, um, Asian American, and Native American, we get kind of pushed aside. But even in that group, Asian Americans the most, because there are other sociological terms that came into play in the 60s. So in the 60s, Asian Americans were thought of honorific whites. So we are almost white. So if you're almost white, then you can't be experiencing racism. So they kept telling us that from the 60s. The other term that came in from the sociologists was the white white minority. Uh, I mean, uh, what is it? Model minority myth. So model minority myth was that Asian Americans, you guys are the model minorities of all the minorities. You know, you are the best. You're better than African Americans. You're better than Hispanic. You're better than Native Americans because you guys go, you guys are rich. You guys go to the top schools. You get all the jobs that you want. So white Americans kept saying that to us, that we are model minorities. In a way, they were pitting pitting us against all the other minorities which made a, which created all this tension between us, and it still exists today. And it also said you cannot be experiencing racism because you are model minorities. You are doing so well. So all these things were put into place to make us invisible. Every time we say we are experiencing racism, white society said, no, you're not experiencing racism. They kept telling us that from the 60s, but it was beyond that from the beginning of our migration. Um, you know, we were here from about three, 400 years ago, but the bulk, bulk uh, Asian Americans came in the 1850s. But in the 1850s, we were made invisible. You know, we were working the railroads and they the, the Chinese workers were paid so much less than the white workers. And then when it came to the dangerous work, like blowing up the mountains, the dynamite work, they asked the Chinese workers to do it because so many of them lost their lives. And when they were crying out, saying this was not fair, they said it wasn't racism, no discrimination. You're just lucky that you're being hired and given these jobs. So it was, it just kept going on and on and on. And, you know, with, uh, During the World War II, you know, the Japanese were rounded up, you know, the Japanese internment, they were saying this is not fair. You know, nobody rounded up the Germans, but they rounded up Asian Americans. And, you know, they were saying this is unfair. They said this is not unfair. So there are pockets of all these and enormous discontinual that whenever we cry out racism, the white dominant society keeps telling us it's not racist and in a way they make us invisible. When is, it, they, is it just the, the white um, community that does that? or is, uh, are, The other yeah. racialized groups, they say it too. And so they, they pit us against us. And, you know, when the model minority myth came out, so, you know, and white people were saying, look, black people, stop complaining, you know, uh, you're not you're not enslaved anymore. They kept saying those narratives, and to the Native Americans, you know, just buckle up and just 
just just do your best, then you can get your jobs. And, and same thing to this bit. So there is a lot of tension. And the tension is there even today. And so uh, when we cry out racism and we say, so that the other groups will say, in some cases, no, it's not racism too. So, it, it you know, we're living in this... It, so there, there's a lot of harm that we do experience because this is unjust suffering. You know, racism is unjust suffering, the system that is set up. So, you know, we want to work towards eliminating harm and then limiting these unjust systems that are set up to create so harm. Yeah. Right. I mean, I mean, people might have certainly, I imagine most people listening to this podcast are aware of... Uh, I guess you'd say quotas. I mean, the, it's, the Jews were treated similarly. There's, and there's yes. quotas. Uh-huh. How many Asian Americans can you have in a university? Or, yes. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, de Blasio in, in New York, Mayor de Blasio, if I understand it right, wants to shut down some of the the advanced educational programs because they tend to be dominated by Asian Americans. And that's not... So, so looking for equity, so wipe it out so everyone's you know is that i mean that seems to be an overt racist act yeah so many people will argue about that so that's a very difficult thing because you know sure we have a lot of percentage of asian americans in these top school but if you look at asia the you know everything in asia is like in china japan all those countries Education is so highly focused. Like if you don't go to the top schools, you're not going to make it. So that mentality is still set in the immigrants here. So every immigrant, Asian American, is striving for the top schools. But if you look at the statistics, not all of us get there. And if you look at the poverty, like in, in, in if you go to Flushing, so many Asian Americans are poor. They're living in these like complexes where they're sharing kitchens, where they're sharing bathrooms. Like this is a this is something that is not shared in the dominant white society. Though I heard uh, a few weeks ago that there was some write up in some magazine because we need to share these things. That not every Asian Americans are going to the top schools. They're striving, but the mentality. And I think the mentality with also in, in the Jewish community is to go to the top schools too. You know, you're pushing your kids to go and, and achieve. But, you know, so there's so many things that are, you know, it, it's so complex. But the fact is, you know, so much racism is set there and we need to fight against racism that is put into place. And it's just so complex and I don't know how to deal with all these, and I don't know if de, Bla- de Blasio is doing the right thing. But it, well, it doesn't yeah. matter because uh, <laughs> he's the, going the out. New, the, yeah. yeah, the new mayor is, <laughs> yeah. is going to reinstate it. Yeah, so, I, 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 I realize you're you're Korean American, yes. and I don't. Uh-huh. I'm not holding you responsible for all things <laughs> Korean. Or, you know, yeah. you're not an expert in all things Korean. Yeah. Uh-huh. But as I was preparing for this conversation, yeah. uh-huh. I came across a study by the Anti-Defamation League mm-hmm. that looked at 102 countries regarding um, their, the level of anti-Semitism. Mm-hmm. And it said in their study that South Koreans are more than twice as likely to be anti-Semitic as 
the other the other 101 countries they studied. Wow. Is, does that ring true to you? Is that does that oh, when you that, hear that, what's your thought about that? That's all news to me. I never thought of that. Wow. I, I, that, yeah, that's know, I'm yeah. not saying it's true. I'm just reading <laughs> the the study. Uh-huh. Um but so it's nothing like, oh yeah, that's just something we inherited from the the Methodist missionaries who came in and converted us. Well, you know, so much of Koreans are Christians. I think the like, latest statistic, maybe 45% of Koreans are, are, are um, Christians. And, you know, a lot of the white missionaries came. So American and Canadian missionaries, United Methodists, and Presbyterians came. And whatever that was, they were taught a hundred and so years ago uh, to 200 years ago, still stays with them. So, you know, I do a lot of Asian American theology, Asian American Christianity. In Korea, they would not really readily accept what I'm doing because I retrieve so much of Asian heritage, Asian culture, and bring it into Christianity. While as right, the, when the white missionaries went to Korea, they told us all of Asian culture, Asian history, Asian religion was all evil and bad. So the Christians really embraced white Christianity, and part of that was, had a lot of anti-Semitism. I must say, yes. It sounds, to some extent, and uh-huh. this sounds terrible, but it's mm-hmm. like like something like the Stockholm syndrome, you know, where a person is kidnapped and yeah, they, they fall in love with their captors. Because one yeah. of the things you write uh-huh. in the book <laughs> is that, uh, and I, this is just a quote from the book: "Much uh-huh. of Christian theology has been dangerous to people of color, yes. and Asian American women have been no exception." Yes, Euro- Eurocentric theology is centered on whiteness. You yes. Write. Uh-huh. And yet, like, like you said, 45% of the Korean population is, uh-huh. is Christian. Uh-huh. What, what attracts a person of color to a religion that is overwhelmingly centered on whiteness? Because they are not thinking that it's white Christianity. Because they were, in, they were taught that that was Christianity. So... To me, as I study theology, I totally recognize it's white Christianity because when I look at who Jesus is, a Palestinian Jew, he was not white. And then Christianity, God is not white, but Christian white Euro male Christians kept telling us that God is white and God is male. So to me, that is a white Christianity, there's nothing else but white Christianity. And that was part of this white Euro male Christianity. So white, you know, all of, you know, I'm in, uh, where am I right now? I am in Scotland. And if you look at Scottish paintings, if you look at British paintings, if you look at Italian paintings of Jesus and of the Spirit of God and etc., Everything was made white. Jesus was made white. My mother, um, she always had that white Jesus painting in my house. And as a child, I thought Jesus was white. I thought Jesus was God. And as I study and I understand that God was made white, then I am trying to, to reach out 
to my readers and to my listeners that that needs to be unpacked. But in in Christianity, their Christian understanding is they never understood it as white Christianity. So that's a big yeah. problem. Well, that, that's interesting. Though. Yeah. You know, there, there's, um, I mean, there, there are no white people in the Bible. Yeah. Whether we're talking the Hebrew Bible <laughs> or the New Testament, everybody is, yeah. is brown, you yeah. know, something like that. Yeah, exactly. Yet all of our stained glass in white. You know, is white. Yeah. Moses it's, is it's, made white. Yeah. Yeah, right, everybody yeah. is made white because it was almost like, these white people created God in their image. They're not right, going to well, say that, they but they did. They did. <laughs> and I want to emphasize that, that white men created God in their image. And when I keep saying all this is wrong, and then, so, you know, as an Asian American woman, people don't want to hear it. But if I don't say it, you know, black people are saying it too. So there are black theologians who are saying you have created God in your white image. And when white missionaries came to Africa, we already had spirituality. We had an understanding of spirit, but you brought this whiteness. And so there are some people now speaking out, but you know, that's why I really like talking about chi and spirit God, because then that goes beyond this whiteness, this white male God, this gendered God. And so, you know, we have a big problem here in Christianity. So we really need to kind of deconstruct and reconstruct and name our problems too. So many Christians don't want to name it. They just want to keep saying this is the truth. But when we look at European Christianity, you know, they changed a lot of stuff and made it white and, and a lot of paganism got into Christianity and they kept saying that wasn't paganism. And today, you know, so there was a lot of syncretism. So name it and say it. So when me and when, you know, when Asian American theologians, African American, Hispanic theologians say it, then you can embrace what they are saying too, because a lot of them are are going against this white Christianity. Yeah, there's a, a, a midrash, you know, Jewish commentary on the Bible mm-hmm. uh, that, Ask the question regarding the second chapter of Genesis, where God creates Adam, the human, uh-huh. um, out of the earth. Uh-huh. Adamas. It's a, you know, a play on words. And the, the rabbis ask the question, what color was the, the, the human? Uh-huh. And they, they are, their answer was, God went around the planet uh-huh. and took all the various colors of earth uh-huh. and made... I guess it'd be like madras, a madras uh-huh. person, <laughs> so that all the colors were in the first person and no, uh-huh. no singular color. But all of our, I, you know, we don't have in Judaism that kind of, uh, we, we don't make images, so we don't have the uh-huh. iconography. But uh-huh. every painting, every stained glass thing I've ever seen about Adam and Eve, they are clearly oh. white. Oh, of course, so, yes, yes. So. <laughs> all right, well, we're going to let that go and... Uh, <laughs> have to bring the conversation to an end and just so our listeners know that that um where you are it is what 11 30 20 to 12 midnight yes <laughs> yes but we have to let Grace but you know go. what you you make me so excited that i am so wired i don't know if i'd be able to fall asleep right now because i'm <laughs> well, so excited about yeah our conversation and i hope I, our listeners will go read my book too <laughs> i appreciate that and speaking about reading your book do you happen to have a copy with you um, no, I don't. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah, you should read I'll, it. Maybe I, I'll read it if we can make an end out of it and 
You, you bring the book to a close and you write this. Thus, the Asian American immigrant church adds richness to the white church. As it does, it reminds us to embrace a theology of visibility. A theology of visibility reminds us that everyone is a child of God and all life is sacred. As such, we should love and embrace one another, not stereotype, racialize, discriminate against, and hate. As we live with sacredness, dignity, and love, we will recognize God who is among us and who embraces the invisible. It, Thank it's you so much a, for reading it. <laughs> well, it's such a powerful way to, it's, it's such a powerful summation of the arguments or the presentation in the book. And it seems, and this is my last question, it seems so apropos to where you are in Glasgow at COP26 tonight, mm -hmm. especially when you write about the theology of visibility, that every child of God, that, 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 um, Everyone is a child of God. All life is sacred. That's what you're really talking about there from the, the spirituality perspective. Mm -hmm. And we should love and embrace one another. And the hope, and I'm going to ask you if this is a, if we have any hope in this, my hope would be that what you're writing about becomes part of the discussion when we talk about climate change, when the discussions at COP26. Is, am I being yeah. Pollyannish or is there reason to hope? No, there is lots of reason to hope. So I hope that, you know, because some of these politicians are religious. So I hope that they will kind of go deep into their heart and recognize that all life is sacred, that every child is a child of God. And, you know, the problem is, you know, the poor countries suffer more. And so, but if we can see the sacredness of the poor countries, those who are suffering, I think we can make a huge difference here at COP26, we can make a huge difference in our own spiritual lives and how we treat our brothers and sisters, our neighbors, our co-workers, everyone around us. So thank you, Rabbi, uh, so for reading those words uh, from the last page of my book. I'm just so grateful for it. Thank you well, so much. Thank you for sharing your hope as well as your wisdom with us. Our guest today, Grace G. Sum Kim, is the author of 20 books, most recently, Invisible, Theology and the Experience of Asian American Women. You can read her essays for Spirituality and Health magazine on our website, spiritualityhealth.com, and you can read her new essay on writing as a spiritual practice in the November-December issue of the magazine, print magazine, that is just hitting the newsstands now. You can also learn more about her work on her website, gracejisumkim.wordpress.com. Grace, thank you so much for talking with us on the Spirituality and Health Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It's always a joy to speak with you. Thank you. Thanks. You've been listening to the Spirituality and Health Podcast. If you like this episode, please rate and review us in your favorite podcast app. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to share us on social media and tag us at Spirit Health Mag. You can also follow me on the Spirituality and Health website, where I write a regular column called Roadside Musings. Don't forget to subscribe to the print magazine as well. The Spirituality and Health podcast is produced by Ezra Baker Truppiano, and our executive producer is Mallory Corbin. I'm Rabbi Rami. Thanks for listening.
Hi, I'm Liz Winter and I have been a medium and a spiritual development teacher for over 30 years. On my podcast, All Aboard the Medium Ship, I want to share the message with you that there is a wealth of love and comfort available to you from the spirit world. On my podcast, you can experience this comfort and peace for yourself through gentle guided meditations and helpful messages. Make sure you subscribe and follow so you never miss an episode. Part of the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network.